Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Hey guys, doing doing good? Good to be with you. Hey, do me a favor. Uh, we have another campus watching today in Montgomeryville. They have no air conditioner around. I don't know if they, and so they're probably sweating. So let's really make some noise for them. And it's so, it is literally so hot in this room too. So we're, we're with you, right? <laughs> so anyway, uh, so our air conditioner didn't work last week. And so it has been so hot. How many y'all excited for summer to be over? How many y'all ready for school to start? Like, can I get an amen? School, how many kids started school already? We hate you. We're like, we hate, like, my kids start tomorrow. Somebody said their kids start Tuesday. Some people's kids don't start till after Labor Day. Anybody after Labor Day, people? Y'all should move districts, right? You're in the wrong district. And so, man, but summer's over. Uh, we are ending a sermon series uh, called What's the Line? Where we've been working through some topics that, uh, specifically in our church, I don't want to say all churches don't talk about it. So I want to talk just about our church that we haven't talked about uh, that much. And so uh, we talked specifically about abortion a few weeks ago and then answered questions from you guys and uh, gender and then answered questions, sexuality. Uh, and so last week I talked to you on the topic of alcohol. I've never preached a whole message on the topic of what the Bible has to say about alcohol. And I actually want to apologize because I don't think I did a good enough job over the last 15 years of pastoring this church of kind of making sure we set the, set the course straight on what our relationship with alcohol should be. And so you remember last week I gave you three, three biblical points. I said, the, the one, I wish I could say just don't drink it. The Bible doesn't say that. Uh, and so I said a couple things. One, be cautious. Be cautious. If you're going to drink, drink with caution, right? Two, be candid. Because some of you have a problem. You need to talk about it. You need to get help. You're relying on it. It's overtaken you. It's mastered you, the Bible says. And so we want to create a church culture where we can actually be real with each other and get the help that we need to get. And the last thing I said, as a church that's on mission, be considerate. Be considerate. And so we, we built that, and I, I knew I was going to get a ton of questions about it. We got more questions about alcohol than we did any other topic. And so I'm going to try to answer seven of them. I told the, the first service, arrogantly, I'm going I'm to knock it out and answer seven. And I literally went 13 seconds after the clock. And so uh, we're going to roll through these questions as quick as I can. And if I skip one and you're type A, you're like, you skipped it, it's because I'm running out of time and I want to get to a different question. And so let's just jump right in. Uh, ground rules again. Uh, if it's in the Bible, I'm going to give you what the Bible says, period. We're not going to worry about it. If, if we don't like it, there's a lot of things I don't like that the Bible says, right? And so uh, I, you, you align yourself with Scripture and you get convicted and you change. If it's not in the Bible but there's biblical practical sense, we're going to use some practical, practical sense, some common sense uh, from the Bible. And if it's just in a question that's not in there anywhere, I'm going to give you my opinion. And I want to remind you I don't know everything. And, and we can differ on what we, we think and on opinions and still be, be friends. Are you tracking with me? Are you guys, are you guys alive today? All right, there you go. And so uh, we're going to go question number one. This was a personal question. Somebody asked me, Pastor Steve, under what circumstances would you drink alcohol? I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this question uh, and, and because it's not, it, it's not that hard of a you know, answer. I don't drink alcohol under any circumstance. Uh, but I want to explain to you why. And so, uh, and so I grew up in a household, a Pentecostal church, uh, where alcohol was just not a part of our life. It was never, ever in my house. 
Um, I never seen it at a party. I just, like, as far as my parents hosted, we didn't, they didn't hang out with people that would go out and, you know, have a glass of wine. It was just never a part of my house, even to this day. I'll walk in to my parents', my parents uh, extra refrigerator in their, in their garage. I've always had an extra refrigerator, and the wildest thing they got is sugar-free ginger ale. And so, like, that's as wild as my parents get. And so, and they've just always, my dad and my mom have always stayed that course. And so I grew up in a household like that. I also grew up in a church culture where alcohol was portrayed as something that was evil. It was just bad. Like uh, anybody, anybody grew up in church, ever a part of a human video, any human video people. So we don't have a lot of human video actors in this place. Human video, we would get a Christian song and the teenagers would act out a, a Christian song to bless the congregation there. And you would act it out. And in every human video, when somebody was struggling with sin, they always, they always were drinking alcohol cutting themselves, drinking alcohol, committing suicide, Jesus would come up, down the cross, flip off, save them, right? And so, and like that's, that was, and so for me, my entire life, alcohol was, 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 was wrong. Went to college, Bible university, alcohol was not allowed. And so the people who drank alcohol were, were breaking rules. And so we just, that was my relationship. Went to my first church, Pentecostal church. Alcohol was not a part of my first church. It was just something that was never done. Moved home to Pennsylvania. You guys are different birds here. And so I moved back to Pennsylvania and I started Journey Church in 2005 uh, with people that I had grown up with. And I quickly realized uh, we, don't, we don't have the same view of, of alcohol and not in we're trying to prove a point to me, it was just, we were different. And so I went to my, my, my first dinner at somebody's house and they offered the pastor a drink, which I thought was peculiar, but I wasn't in Kansas anymore. And so, uh, and so it was just a different world. And so I tried to buy in. I went to scripture because I'm like, okay, maybe the Bible doesn't say it's evil. And I went and it doesn't, the Bible doesn't speak only negative, you know, negativity on alcohol. And so I leaned in in 2005. I'm preaching to young people and I want to be cool. And so yeah, maybe we can have a draft beer here and there and go to, you know, Iron Hill. And they ask you if you wanted something to drink. And maybe I should, maybe I can drink a beer and go to Wegmans and get some, get some, get some, get a, you know, pack and pick out the label. Well, that's a cool label. Let me just get that one. And let me just kind of dive into this and let me just, you know, maybe develop a different relationship. And so I did that. 2005, 2006, 2007, you know, I, was, I had a different view of drinking. I just, you know, I just, it's not, not a big deal. We're just doing it. Nobody's getting drunk. If I'm, if I'm being truthful with you, I was never, I never even liked it. And so I didn't have to be cautious. I never got on the edge, of, you know, of drinking. And I, I didn't have a problem. And so when I'm talking about two C's, cautious and candid, those are not applicable to me. Because I don't even like it. But like, I, you know, everybody else is doing it, so, so I'll do it. And then I realized in 2007 I looked around at my church and I realized that the only people that felt comfortable in my church were church people. It wasn't actually making us better at reaching lost people. It was just an environment for a bunch of kids that grew up in church to try to be cool and drink a little bit while they talk about the Bible and get deeper. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Like, give me, give me. And I looked and I'm like, okay, nobody's coming to church that doesn't know Christ, and I started to pray, God, make us a conducive environment where people that don't yet know Jesus feel comfortable. And so we started to do that, and I quickly realized when people like that started to come to our church, that one of the greatest struggles in their life was addiction. It was alcohol. 
And I began to realize how ridiculous it was for me to pray that God would create an atmosphere that was conducive to people that felt far from Christ, broken people, addicted people, to come into an environment with a bunch of church people that were already there, that were cleaned up, that weren't struggling, that had their act together, that had a good relationship with alcohol. And I was going to say, this is a safe environment for these people to come and come be a part of our thing. Could you imagine somebody comes in through addiction and we're at a home group and we're having social drinking and we're drinking and the addict comes and it's like, I guess this is okay because you're fine and they drink and they fall off the thing because they assume this is what good Christian people did. And I just started to think to myself, if I stop drinking, what do I lose? Nothing. If I continue to keep drinking, what could we lose? The environment that is conducive to people that feel far from Christ. And so here's what I did in 2008. This ain't that cool. This ain't that good. I don't need it. I want to be a part of a church that changes people's histories. And so if I have to abstain, if I have to get out of the way or give something up, I said this in the last service last week, I said, if I have to give up so somebody else can get up, I'll do that any day of the week. So if you ask me, when will you ever drink? The answer is I, I never drink. Ever, ever in my life. I don't touch alcohol. You can call me a Nazarite. You can call me a weirdo. You, that's a Bible term. You, you can look at me like you're, you're crazy. I just don't, I don't do it. And he, here's, here's what I would say. Some of you don't understand that. You ever been around a really high-performing athlete that doesn't put, put, put certain things in their body because they're competing for something that most normal people aren't competing for? You almost make them want to feel bad. You're like, you're eating a Twinkie. You're like, this is great. They're like, we don't eat that because I'm competing for something that you're not competing for. And so he. Most Christians could care less about reaching lost people. I'm not trying to judge you. That's just what studies suggest. Most of us, we have our own life to live. We got our own plans. We got our own goals. We got our own agendas. We got our own thoughts. We got our own desires, right? But I want to live my life, and I want it to mean something in eternity. I want God to use this church that he's allowed me to be a part of building as a conducive environment that where people that feel far from Christ can continue to walk into this place. So it's a real easy question that I took 25 minutes to answer, and so let's keep going. Uh, number two, number two, can you elaborate more on causing your brother to stumble? I think I understand, but some examples would be helpful. And so I said be considerate, and then I used uh, a few Bible verses, and these next two que- these next questions are going to go together, the next, this one and the next one. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8, what does it say? Uh, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the, to the weak. A stumbling block, that means, uh, in Greek, it literally means to put things in somebody's path that's going to trip them up. Be careful as you're walking your journey that those that aren't as far along as you are not uh, stumbling in their faith because of things that you're putting in their path. It, it, Paul, or, or, he says it again in Romans 14, don't destroy the work of, the, of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. It's not the problem. It's not the substance that's the problem. But it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Here's, here's, the, here's the wrestling part of it. Is as, as individuals in America, we hate to be told that we're responsible for anybody else. Case in point, what happened this, year, this week in the government, people are flipping out both ways. You're going to write off the debt. It's going to cost me this much money. It's going to cost me this much. During COVID, I took $15,000 from the government, but now we're talking about this. I don't want to do this. And I'm not going to debate with you, but I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm, like, I'm the same way. I'm like, I don't want to pay for that. I paid my college off. The, the, the truth is it's because I don't want to be responsible for anybody else's life. 
You crash your car, that's your problem. You drink too much, that's your problem. Your kids are out of control, join the club. That's our problem. I don't want to buy supplies for your kid at school. That's your problem. Remember last week I told you, I don't care if your kid has a peanut butter allergy. That's your problem. I, I, remember how mad you were, some of you? I was like, I'm joking. It's a sermon. Chill out, right? We don't want to care and think about anybody. This has been the problem since the beginning of the Bible. Cain and Abel, the first sons of Adam and Eve, they're, they do sacrifice. You know, Cain gets mad because Abel brings his best and God is not happy with Cain's uh, leftovers. And so he gets mad, but instead of getting mad at himself, he gets mad at his brother. He kills him. God comes and says, where's Abel? What does Cain say? I'm not my brother's keeper. It's not my problem. The problem is that's not what the, the, the message in the Bible teaches. When you join a church, you join a group of people that are supposed to carry each other, hold each other accountable, pray for one another, lift one another up, open our homes to one another, carry each other's burdens for one another. So if your brother is struggling with something, you're supposed to struggle with him. I, I feel like so many times because we live in an individualistic culture that we literally assume it's not my it's not my problem. And so what does it mean to put a stumbling block in front of somebody else's life? It's a lack of care. I don't care that you struggle with drinking. I don't care that you struggle with, I mean, think about it. Some of us go to work and uh, people know that we're Christians and they hear us complain. And they struggle with complaining. They're trying to get over it. And you complain and like, I guess that's what Christians do. That's a stumbling block. You gripe, 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 complain, complain, complain. Some of you worry in front of every person you go to. Other people are trying to get saved. They're reading the Bible, actually. The Bible says don't worry, but you constantly worry. That's your middle name. You're causing other people to, to stumble. I guess that's what, Christians, that's what Christians do. We are supposed to carry the weight of each other together. In fact, I love what this, this, this mom said because this is a perfect lead-in to question number three uh, and a perfect kind of answer because it's not really a question. It's more of a statement. She says, it was a powerful message from my daughter who attended church with me today. I want you to listen to what her daughter came out of. Watch this. This question says, she just got out of three months of rehab. So I want you to stop for a second. I want you to think about how significant that is. I want to celebrate. That's 90, 92 days possibly of being clean in her life. We should celebrate that. Some of us will never understand the fight of addiction. And I've never been addicted to, to drugs in my life, but I've watched people struggle with it. And when it grips your life up, it's one of the hardest battles that you'll ever face to get clean. But I also want you to think about if you're in this church and you're carrying the attitude that most Christians carry, and that young girl is sitting by you, and in a few weeks, she signs up to come to your home group, and you don't know her past. And here's the problem. Because we're so individualistic, we don't even know people anymore. And she walks through the doors of your, of your house, and because you don't have a problem, you're flippantly talking about alcohol, or even in the past, we've had alcohol at our home groups because we want to be a cool church. I say that jokingly, by the way. We don't do that anymore. And she walks into your house, and she's a bunch of Christians that have it all together. She sits down. And she thinks to herself, I guess this is what you do when you grow in Christ. And she, and she relapses. How are you going to feel that you created an environment that was not conducive to her continuing to walk in health? So I love what this mom says. She says, although I promise not to have alcohol in the house and cut back on my drinking, I realize that I need to abstain completely. 
In order for my daughter to keep moving forward and me not be a stumbling block, she says, I'm asking for prayers that the Spirit fills me and enables me to overcome because a lot of my social life revolves around alcohol. My heart goes out to a lot of my friends that abuse uh, substance abuse, and I want to live by an example. And I just, I don't know who this mom is. She didn't give her name, but I just want to celebrate you. You are the, the example of what it looks like to not cause somebody to stumble. I want you to celebrate your willingness to give up something for, for the sake of something that you love. Because that's essentially what it is. I'm going to give up this substance for the sake of something I love. We all do this all the time in our families. Anybody ever take your family on a, on a road trip and you drive and they sleep? You give up something, which is sleep, for someone that you love. You ever get them there in the morning and they want to do something and you're like, I was up all night, dang it. They don't care. In your marriage, you do this. I remember when I first got married, I was an avid once-a-week basketball player. And I told my wife, when you marry me, you're marrying, a, you're marrying an athlete. I need to inform you about it. <laughs> That's so funny. I need to inform you about my, what I do. What do you do? I play basketball every, every Monday night. I remember when we first got married, she came to me. You know how wives do this? She just looked at me. She said, I don't want you to leave. 20 years later, she's like, are you going to play basketball tonight? What's going on, What's going on here, right? But I, she don't want you to leave. And I remember in the beginning, I was like, you're trying to control me. I told you I was an athlete. I played basketball on Monday. Oh, Monday. But she said, I want you to stay home. I don't want to be home when it's dark. You know how girls do. I didn't talk in that voice. And what do you do? You give up something for someone you love. Here's the problem. Me and you don't love people enough. Same reason I told you the peanut butter thing. Because you only care about the peanut butter allergy when you have a kid that's allergic to peanut butter. Are you tracking with me? Until then, you could care less about the 15 million people that have peanut, peanut allergies and the 150 people that die every year for peanuts. But after you have somebody that has a peanut allergy, you will move heaven and earth to protect them. You will get rid of peanut butter in your house for your life, even if you love it, because you love them. This is the principle in Scripture. I will give up certain liberties and rights in my life because I love people and I want them to experience the freedom of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John 15. Greater love has no one than this. What does it say? You lay down your life for your friends. That's what real love looks like. You date, lay down your life. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of other people. In fact, I love my, my favorite, one of my favorite guys in Scripture is Timothy. And I used to like him when I was young because he was a young pastor. And Paul introduces Timothy to the Philippian church, and he's talking about Timothy and sending Timothy there and all these things. And he tells them, he says, I have, I have no one like Timothy in my, in my life who actually cares about the interests of other people. He doesn't say, he's the best preacher. I'm sending you the best preacher. I'm sending you the best theologian. I'm sending you the smartest guy that I have. I'm sending you the best looking guy that I have. I'm sending you the most talented guy. He says, no, here's what I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you a guy that actually cares about you. So that's what it means to not put a stumbling block into other people's lives. I actually care about the salvation of other people's lives and the health of the future that God has for them. Let's keep moving. Question number, number four. Oh, these are good questions. I know I drink too much, and I've tried to cut back. I like the, the realness of that question. I grew up around alcohol, and it's part of my life because my family and friends drink. It's almost more of a way of living than just a habit. 
How can I cut back or cut out alcohol and still maintain relationships with my family and friends? So that's a great scenario. Been, been, been around people your whole life. I've met people like this. I've taught people, they're getting married, you know, they're like, yeah, we're, we're, not, we're trying to drink, but we have alcohol because our family's Italian and they all drink. That's what they do at weddings and no one's going to have any fun and no one's going to do the chicken dance if they're not a little lit up and so on. You know, I don't want to waste my money on the DJ, so this is why I try to explain that away or, or, or uh, you know, I'm a t- I, go to, I go to these dinners where we drink this wine and it's just part of our, our life and it's not a big deal for me and, and all these things. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I rest through this because I'm going through some things that other people don't know and understand. I'm, I'm experiencing Jesus. They don't really can't define that. They can't put their finger on that. And I also don't want to live in an offensive way to them. And so what do I do? And so here, here's a few things that I thought that I would do in this, in this situation if I was going through this. Number one, I would encourage you to continue to walk out your life in humility. Hum- humility. A lot of what you're going to begin to do when you follow Christ is going to be weird to other people. All right. If nobody thinks you're in a cult right now, that doesn't go here, you probably aren't fully following Christ because a lot of what we do is cult-like. You're in a dark room with smoke coming out. <laughs> right? Like it's a little, it's a little cult-like. When I have you stand up at the end and I say, let's go, and you say, bring them home. That's like a bunch of weirdos, right? Like, like there's a lot of things that we, we, we do that is like, it's, and, and, and it, it makes sense because your life is changing. You're becoming a different person. And so a lot of the things that Jesus begins to do in your life, somebody who's never been here before, they're not going to understand it. Like how many times in your life have you been like, yeah, I can't go to that. Why? You've been to this for years. If I got to go to church, I got to serve. You're like, what? Don't they pay people for that at church? Like, what do you mean you've got to serve? You're part of a cult, right? Or you ever talk to somebody where you start faithfully, you know, giving to God through the church uh, in your finances? You're like, yeah, I give 10%. They're like, what? Don't you know they steal your money? The pastor's probably driving around in a Porsche, right? And like, it's cult-like. Like, what we do is called, they're not going to fully understand it. So here's what you're going to do. Instead of getting arrogant because Jesus doesn't need your arrogance, you're just going to walk in humility. You're going to walk in humility. I, I, I can't even explain all the things that are going on in my life, but I know that Jesus is changing me. I know he's moving in my life. I know a lot of the things that I struggled with in the past, my, my pain from my parents leaving me and that word that was spoken over me and that, that relationship that I had that really hurt me, that scarred my life, Jesus is beginning to change me and my desires are changing. I can't explain it, but like even my, my, my actual physical desires, my taste buds are actually changing where I don't even want it an, anymore. It doesn't even make me feel like the same person. I can't explain it, but, but I'm just trying to tell you, Jesus is, is changing me. I still love you and, and I still want good for you. Your life, but man, my life is just a little different. I know it's not going to make sense, and that's okay. There's humility there. Not I, Jesus changed me. You're a sinner. You're going to hell. I'm better than you. Call me if you ever want to get saved. If it ain't about getting saved, I don't got time for you. I got my own new friends at church. Like I, I've upgraded, right? Like that's not humility. That's that's pride. In fact, watch what Scripture says in First Peter five. In the same way, and I love this because he starts with the younger people. Because the younger, the younger you are, the less humble you. I don't know if you ever knew, know, know that or not. Life has a way of humbling you. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but shows. Favor to the humble. Lead your life in humility. Number, number two is this, is embrace the normality of it. It is going to be completely normal for people uh, to stop wanting to spend as much time with you as you become more like Jesus Christ. 
It's completely normal. I, I, I remember the first time I ever experienced this. I was a senior in high school. My best friends were, uh, one was a junior and two were, were sophomores. And so the one that was a junior, he, he was a lot like me. We were responsible. We had jobs. We, had, we, we, we took stuff serious, as serious as I could. The sophomores were my entertainment. And so like, so I, I was really close with all, like my, my high school, we were close, right? Like we, we, we spent lots of time together, played sports together. I remember I left for my first year of Bible college didn't really know what was going to happen, and the Lord began to do things in my life. And I would come back every, every, every semester at the end of the semester, and I noticed the longer that I spent at Bible college, the more that our relationship felt like it was drifting apart. I remember about three years in, I, remember it was a, I was a junior, I came home, and I just wanted to hang out with them. I, I, was, I, I just wanted to see them and laugh with them, and they were seniors at this point, and get ready to graduate. I'm in my junior year, and, and I remember I came home, and, and, I, and they, they didn't even really want me to be around them. They didn't call me. Like, I found out they were hanging out without me, and their life was kind of going away from, from the Lord. Even though they'd grown up in church, they were starting to make kind of worldly decisions, and their, their future was looking different. And as the years progressed, the more that I came home and the more that I got serious about my faith, the farther away that relationship seemed, seemed to be. And it's just a normal part of life. I didn't push them away. I didn't say, yo, I'm going to be a pastor. You guys are jokes, Right? I can't deal with your stupidity anymore. It was just simply my life began to change and their life was go going this way. And they said, you know what? You make us uncomfortable with who you are right now. So we don't want to invite you to the party. That is very, if you, listen, if you, if you have never experienced not being invited to something that you used to be invited to because of your faith, I'm going to tell you again, I don't know that you're fully following Jesus Christ yet. At some point, it, it's going to happen, and it's not even because you're holier than now, but one, one, one scientific study that they, they said, the reason so many times people get mad at the person who used to drink, who knows, no longer drink, is it's like a mirror in their face reminding them and judging them that you're better than them because you're not drinking, and nobody likes to feel like that. So you're either going to get a part of the party, or you're going to get le le left out. So that's just kind of where, where I would land on that. Let me just give you a few more. I got a few more questions. Uh, I'm probably going to skip number six. So I'm just going to go to five and seven. It seems like 12-step fellowships are frowned on by Christians. And Christianity is frowned on in most of the 12-step fellowships. Why? So uh, one of the greatest compliments we ever got as a church uh, in the history of our church, I was at a funeral. And uh, I met somebody who's never been to church before, and they, I introduced myself, and they said, what do you do? I said, I'm the pastor of Journey Church. They had never been here, but they said, oh, that's the recovery church. And I just, I love that. Like, I, I just, I have always enjoyed our relationship with people that are walking through addiction. The best part of the, of the history of our church, that my fondest memory, I was, it was before I was 30 years old. Uh, it was in 2009, and so a long time ago. But in Limerick, one, one, one season of our church, a couple started coming that was in recovery, that was very influential, that the Lord was using. And they started bringing 45 to 50 people in recovery every Sunday, and they would fill the whole section, section of our church in our third service. And so, and when they did, it was wild. Like they were sleeping, hungover. You didn't ever know what you were going to see, but they were there and down to party. And I loved it. And so, like, I look forward to that. So I love the fact that people who don't, who, who wouldn't typically go to church in recovery end up, end, end up coming here. Uh, but we've always had this wrestling match. And I agree with them when they say, uh, there seems to be differences on recovery and, and the Christian church and, and, and what is it. And let me just kind of explain to you what, what happened. So in 1935, AA was founded. 
You guys, if you've ever been there, you know the history. A man named Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith, they were alcoholics. They were struggling. They found each other. They, they kept each other accountable. They introduced spiritual principles. They got clean. And for the first two years after that, they helped 40 people get clean in, in, in recovery. And they started AA. And what's interesting is if you know the 12 steps of AA now, oftentimes they would talk about a higher power, but that's not how it started in 1935. In 1935, it sounded like a church. Here's where there are five pillars of, of, of the program in, 19, in 1935. One is total abstinence from alcohol. We're, we're going to get rid of alcohol totally. Two, we're going to acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Three, we're going to obey God's will. Four, we're going to grow in fellowship. And five, we're going to help other alcoholics. Which, listen, if you are a pastor of a church, that sounds like five core principles of your life. We're going to get rid of sin. We're going to give our life fully to Jesus Christ. We're going to acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior. We're going to obey him with all of our strength. We're going to grow in our fellowship both with God and others. And we're going to serve this world to tell them about Jesus Christ and bring more people into the kingdom. That's the church. But stuff started to change as anything. As the years go on, stuff starts to evolve. And eventually they introduced the 12 steps into, into AA and 12 steps, still very biblical, like uh, honesty, hope, surrender, courage, integrity, willingness, humility, love, responsibility, discipline, awareness, and service. That those, are the, those are the steps. Like those, they're, they're longer than that, but those are the words that would describe each step. And uh, the one thing that started to change in AA over the years is they started to say, uh, in one step, you need to find your higher power. You need, we're, we're spiritual, but that spiritual aspect can look like many things for you. And what's happened in AA over, over the course of, of time uh, is they have about a 1 in 15 people stay, stay clean that comes to AA now. About 1 in 15. So they're still helping people. Many people are taking steps and fighting, and I, I'm not anti-AA at all. But I think the one thing that's happened is they shifted away from the one that could actually clean them up. See, AA celebrates recovery. Recovery is, is, to, is a return to the state of normal. Here's the problem. You were broken since the moment you were born. So a return to the state of normal in your life just returns you to brokenness. Jesus is about restoration. Restoration, by definition, is to make you better than you were when you started. But there's the difference. Church is not about recovery. Okay, we're going to help you get through it. Church is about you becoming a brand new person. So here's where the roads kind of shift a little bit. We're not anti-steps and anti-programs and anti-recovery. We're all for it. But if it doesn't get you to Jesus, you're just going to go back. The answer is only ever going to be Jesus. And let me just end with question number, number seven because this is the one that I think is the most important of the whole day. Uh, and this question was, was asked many times. What happened is we, we talked about uh, alcohol, and then we opened up a can of worms in people's homes. Because when I said be candid, uh, most, most of us, we just aren't until the, you know, the pressure's on. So I think I talked about you know, alcohol, and you should probably talk about these things. There's probably a lot of difficult conversations. And so uh, here's how they were worded. One, one guy says, he says, my wife is always harping. And I just want to, if I did a marriage series, I would tell you, probably not a good word to describe your wife. Talking, speaking, encouraging, harping is not a good word. And so it will never lead to a, a unified household and a happy wife. And so uh, always harping on me, saying my drinking is out of control. She, this person says, I drink drinks every day, but I don't think there's a problem. Am I wrong? Okay, here's the, here's the guy. He says, I don't know 
the wife and the husband both ask these questions, but the guy says, yeah, I drink. It's no big deal, though. I have a couple drinks a day. It's fine. She's always harping on me. She sees it differently than me. She, she's, you know, she's being too candid with me. And I get this, Russell. Let me, let me, I have a wife like this. I don't use the word harping. But she is very candid. When I walk off this stage weekly, she has to tell me after three services, got to rein that in right there, buddy. You probably shouldn't say that like that. That didn't feel right. That word is probably not Jesus-like, right? And my reaction is always to tell her, stop harping on me. You, don't never, you never even preached. I preached this many times since 2005. What do you know, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's me, and that's, I, that's what we do. Growth never happens there. And so this is it. Like, I drink, and my wife, you know, she's, she's on me about it, and I don't think it's a problem. Then the, the, a wife says, and I'm not saying this is the same wife, but this is may, maybe the same wife. She says, my husband refuses to admit he has addictions, and not just to alcohol. He's been told by his doctor he needs to change things because it's hurting his health. It's also hurting my health because his addictions are causing our family stress, anxiety, and he is in denial even after watching your sermon. How can I get him to see his issues? He does not see before it's too late for our marriage. So let me just break this question down. First thing is, let me talk to the guy. Here's what I would ask you. Is that the hill you want to die on? I can tell you this. Uh, I have never done a funeral for a gentleman, and uh, they sit there and talk about his bourbon collection. Or his car, or his job, or how much money he had, or his retirement. It's always about the family. The worst funerals are when you know there's barely any family there because this dude was a crappy guy, and you have to tell everybody he might be in a better place. Is that the hill you want to die on? In fact, I love this, 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 uh, this quote I read a few years ago about addiction because it's, it stayed with me. And they said this addiction is giving up everything for one thing. Probably heard this before. Recovery is giving up one thing for everything. So here, am I willing to give up my life, my relationship with my wife, my kids for one thing, for alcohol? Or can I give up this one thing for the betterment of everything else? But if you're the female in this, you're the, you're the wife and maybe you're, you're a husband and you're in the same situation, but this, a female asks us, I want to talk specifically to, to the females. Uh, first thing is this. You answer this two ways. If they're not a, fo a follower of Christ. So here's, here's the second scenario. Somebody comes to church, gets saved, and uh, they, they go back and their, their spouse is not saved. And you're really growing in your faith and they're still struggling in their old life and you want them to change. And what's cool is this, this was going on. Is this is a first century church problem. A lot of new people were coming. One, one, of the, one, of the, one of the issues was, hey, I, I found Christ, and my husband is not, does not know Christ, and can I leave him and get a new husband because you know, that guy looks kind of good over there in that thing, and this guy's not coming with me. And Paul says, no, absolutely not. Same thing was happening with people. They would indebt themselves. The Bible called it slavery. It actually talks about it. They would indebt themselves to pay off a health bill or something like that. And then they were getting saved, and the message in, in, in the Bible was Jesus clears your debt. Seems really applicable right now, right? And what they were doing is, sweet, I don't got to pay off my debt to, this, to my master. And Paul said, no, no. Jesus cleared your debt, but you still got to go back and pay the debt that you owe that guy. That's your word. That's your integrity. 
Same principle. What do I do in this situation? My husband is not following Christ. I go home and he's getting drunk and he doesn't see the problem and it's hurting me. What do I do? Well, I'll say this. In a situation where there's not abuse, where there's not anger and physical abuse happening, but there's just, uh, you're dealing with somebody's addiction and it's literally destroying your relationship. You're a Christian. They're not yet a Christian. What are you supposed to do? Here's what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wife. Which, by the way, what are women best at? Talking. Did you, that's not funny? I think that's funny. Like, women, how many words do you speak a day? Nobody knows, right? And what does he say to do in that situation? You go home and you win them with your attitude, with your love, with, with your kindness. He says, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come just from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Look at your husband. See him as a broken boy. This, this is, this is, this is, I'm not trying, a broken boy. You know, I know he's a broken boy because uh, we've, I've coached my kids for, for years in sports. And so I'm just very aware. I've, I was a children's pastor, a youth pastor. I'm just very aware of kids and their, their, their tendencies. And you see, like, oh, that's, that kid's acting like that because they don't have a, have a dad. And, man, they're struggling in here. And, and you see them as a, a broken boy. That was, that was, that maybe didn't have the love of a father or maybe was abandoned in that situation. And when you married them, you married their baggage. Are you tracking with me? You signed up for that. So I'm not giving them freedom to abuse you, but I'm saying the situation that you're in, the, the alcohol that he's struggling with, instead, let it break your heart. Spend Monday every week fasting your lunch. Pleading that the Lord would speak through you to your husband and he would change his life. We'll pray the same thing. I believe in the power of Jesus. I love that song. You walk in broken. What are the words? I don't even know. You're going to walk in right. Walk out right. You walk in unhappy. You're going to walk out smiling, right? Like, says stuff like that, right? And so, just the point is Jesus can change somebody's life. We, we, we agree with that. But here's the thing. Maybe they're a Christian. Maybe they got baptized. Maybe they're a Christian. Maybe they, they claim faith. And, and now you're having this conversation. You're like, what am I supposed to do? I talk to him and he doesn't change. And here, here's where we're going to start home groups in a few months. Here's where Christian community is so important. Because we are called to be up in each other's business. So let me just read you something that, that Jesus says to do when somebody in your church is outrightly walking away from the Lord. And this is not a popular thing. Like if you read the top 10 statements of Jesus, this is going to be nowhere. They're not making mugs or posters, and nobody's getting a tattoo of this, right? But here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go to them and point out their fault. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you won them over. But if they will not listen, take one of them, uh, one or two others, along so that every matter may be established by the testimony or two or three witnesses. If they still don't listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to even listen to the church. Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. 
This is church discipline. <laughs> we definitely don't talk about this enough. You sign up, I sign up to be held accountable. Now, there's, there, there, there's no lone rangers here. We are in this together. You find friends, you get in a community group, you get interaction, you get prayer, you speak about your weaknesses, other people hold you accountable, people call you, hey, how you doing with that, are you struggling, you, your, your wife and you are in marriage problems, your first thing, we're going go to we're gonna go talk to you, we're going to go to our friends, we're going to talk to our friends about what we're going through, I know we post all this bull crap on social media, but that's all a lie, let's really talk about what we're struggling with, you ever, you ever, you ever realize how much that happens? I'll talk to people, their whole marriage is falling apart, and I'm like, yeah, but three weeks ago you were posting this. Social media is a lie. And we just get in each other's business. You see what he says to do? First thing you do, you go confront them. Christian woman, get some backbone. Watch Diary of a Mad Black Woman. You never seen it? Watch, get some backbone, right? I'm going to go handle this. My husband said he's a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, and he is not the man that he's supposed to be right now. So I'm going to go speak to him. And when he doesn't listen to me, if he doesn't, I'm going to call two of his best friends. Guys that I know are where they're supposed to be in the Lord, and they're going to come over, and we're going to sit down together, and we're going to intervene, and we're going to find a plane, and we're going to push each other forward, and we're going to hold each other accountable. And if they come and they don't listen, we're going to call the church. And a pastor or a leader is going to come over. We're going to sit together. And we're going to beg for, for repentance. And when they don't listen there, if they don't, God, man, I would hate that for somebody. The Bible says, treat them as a, an unbeliever. Treat them as a pagan. The, the Bible says in one instance, Paul says, stop eating with those people. I think modern day, I found this funny. Sometimes I, I know uh, people's lives are falling apart in our church. And I know that their friends know their lives are falling apart. And they'll be on social media doing something that you know is ridiculous, and you'll see some other person in your church give them a thumbs up like. You're like, what are you liking? You're liking the fact that their life is falling apart? Get real. Get into their business. Give them a thumbs down. Throw a Bible verse this way. Go to their house. Sit down with them. Get in, get, you know, get in their face. Talk to them about how they're going to ruin the, the, the life. This is what the Bible says to do. We're called to fight with each other. Here's the problem, though. I can't fight for you. I'll fight with you. You're going through an addiction. Your family's falling apart. We'll help you find the right help. We'll help you find a counselor. We'll connect you with other people that can pray and encourage you. We'll get as real as you can possibly get because we believe Jesus can change any situation. Amen? But you got to get real. You got to open up. You got to be truthful. That's what this message series is about. That's what every Sunday is about. Holy Spirit, would you come into my life and would you begin to work in my life? And here's the thing. I, I want to tell you something. I, I saw this this week. It was so true. A pastor was talking about, you know, conviction and people getting mad because, you know, I don't know if you noticed or not, but these last eight weeks have been fun, right? And so uh, there's been a lot of just interaction back with us. And so, uh, and the pastor said, he said, if your pastor goes through the Bible and you spend one, two, three years there and you're never convicted, you're not really listening to the Bible. He said, because there's so many parts in Scripture that I don't really want to hear. I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to pray for those who curse me. Anybody else? I want to curse those who curse me. But the Bible says I got to pray. That's the work that I have to do. I don't want to not gossip. I want to tell. When I hear something, I want to tell people, right? But the Bible says not to gossip. The Bible says the power of life is in the tongue. So that's it, man. Somebody in this place, your life, you, like you're the person. I don't know if this is your story, but you're dealing with this. Your wife is harping on you. 
And you're mad right now. And instead, you need to grab her hand and say, thank you that you love me more than I deserve. Thank you for not giving up on me. And then the wife, you're going to say, hey, I see you're hurt, and I'm here to fight with you. I can't fight for you, but I'm going to fight with you. And you're going to watch what happens. You're going to invite Jesus into that situation, and Jesus is going to be, begin to shake some things in your life. Amen? Jesus is going to begin to heal. Maybe you're in this place, and when I said get candid last week, you didn't do it last week, but this week, you're like, I need help. You're going to run right to that first, second time death and say, hey, he was talking to me. I need some help. I, I, I need to talk to somebody. I need a counselor. I need somebody to know what I'm going through. We're going to get you the help. We're going to fight with you. We can't fight for you, but we will fight with you. Amen? Would you stand to your feet all over this place and would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this day and we thank you for all that you continue to do through your word. We thank you that it's a lamp unto our feet and it's a light unto our path. God, it guides and directs. Thank you for convicting us. That, that, that voice of conviction, Lord, that's not, that's not angry. That's not upset. That's not shame-filled. That's the spirit of the living God calling us to something better. Here's the first step, though. Jesus, you can't change anybody who is unwilling to admit they have a problem and repent of their sin. I'm going to repent of my, my love, my addiction, my desire to make something that happened to me bigger than what Jesus did for me. I've tried to do this on my own. I've tried to cover this up. The Spirit of the living God, you can come in and you can begin to do the work because I can't do it on my own anymore. By the way, that's what salvation feels like. Salvation feels like a, a person, like me and you, saying, I, I can't. I've tried. I can't figure this life thing out. I can't overcome this addiction. I can't get rid of this hate. I can't get over that relationship that left me so scarred with so much baggage. I can't, I can't drop that weight that I'm carrying. But Jesus, you can And coming in and touching, just like the woman with the issue of blood, the garment of Jesus, and instantly being changed forever. He's here right now. Lean into him. The Bible says, call on his name, and you shall be saved. So maybe as I've been speaking, man, you're like, that's my situation. Like, I, I have a problem. I'm covering it up. My wife sees it. My friends see it. My family sees it. And I've been covering it up, but I, I can't do that anymore. I need to give it to Jesus right now. I need to give him the, the, the power and the authority of my life, control of my life. Maybe you don't struggle with addiction and you're just an innocent bystander here. You just came here to church today, but you came here with all sorts of issues. You came here with all sorts of baggage, man. You, you're struggling through this life and you came here hoping that something would change. His name's Jesus. He'll meet you where you're at, but he will not leave you there. He'll heal you. He'll make you whole. He'll restore you. He'll set you free. He'll fill you with a love that you've never had. He'll give you a mercy you don't deserve. He'll fill his grace on top of grace on top of grace in your life. And the Bible says, what do you do if you come to this place and you hear the name of Jesus? Well, how do you respond? The Bible says, if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, 
You believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus rose in power on the third day. And it's through him that my debt of my sin has been forgiven. That, that, that hell is being taken out of my life. And I am now a citizen of heaven, the Bible says. I'm promised eternity. And so I can walk forward into this life fully healed. Having a hope that I've never had before. That's what it, that's what it feels like. That's what happens when you experience Christ. So maybe as we're praying, you're here and you say, that's me, all over this place. I don't know Christ, but I need to. I, I don't know what else to do. I've tried everything else, and today I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. Just without anybody moving, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you say, that's me. I want to know I'm praying with you, so I want to ask you to do something. That takes some courage. I know that. It takes some guts. But I, I feel like that's what it takes to follow Christ anyways. A lot of courage, a lot of guts, a lot of truth, a lot of willingness to be real with yourself. You're not as good as you say you are. You're not impressive as you tried to be. You're a hurt person. You have a lot of hang-ups. You're angry. You're bitter. You're broken. I need Jesus Christ. Call on him. The Bible says you'll be saved. If that's you all over this place, it's a lot of courage. A lot of courage. A lot of guts. If that's you, would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me. I need Jesus right now. I need Jesus to come into my life. I need him to heal me. I need him to make me whole. I need him to forgive me. Would you just begin to pray, church, all over this place that, the, uh, that Satan, the enemy, doesn't steal this moment from somebody? I need Jesus to come into my life. I need to humble myself. The Bible says, humble myself before Jesus and he'll lift me up. If you're in Montgomeryville and you say, hey, pastor, that's me. I need Jesus to come into my life right now. I'm just going to wait here in this room for a second and allow you to respond. Maybe you're online. And you would, uh, just in the chat right there, you would just type, hey, that, that's me. There's somebody on the other side of the keyboard right there, uh, ready to pray with you, ready to let me know you're responding. And, and as people respond, would you just begin to pray all over this place? And maybe, maybe you know Christ already. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Uh, we did it last week too. Somebody's coming in just a few moments. They're going to sit in that exact seat that you're sitting in. If you know Christ, would you pray uh, for the person who's coming after you? Would you believe that the Lord would move in their life just like he's moved in your life? That he would encourage them, strengthen them, and save them. Let's pray all over our houses. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. Jesus, I love your word. I love how we can speak it, and it's filled with life and truth and grace and forgiveness and hope. Lord, thank you for your presence, Lord, that when you show up, you do powerful, profound things. Lord, I pray for those that are responding to your gospel right now by saying yes to you. Jesus, I need a relationship with you. I need you to heal me and make me whole. I need you to forgive me and set me free. And just like that song saying, we can walk in one way, but in your presence we can leave differently. So thank you, Lord, for what you've done and what you continue to do in our lives through this church. We're honored. We don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your presence, but week after week, you show up and you meet us here in this room. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. All over our houses, would you shout amen together? Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message, or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.